Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, May 18th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. This time out, we discuss the uptick in gun and gang violence in the city and ask the Chief about the approach the CPS will be taking to keep hockey fans safe while cheering on the Calgary Flames in round two of the NHL playoffs. Next, we look at the issue of extremism on social media platforms. We find out just how prevalent radical groups are on some of the most popular sites and what's being done to protect free speech and at the same time put the brakes on hate speech and the promotion of terrorist organizations. Then we look at the psychology behind fandom. We speak with Calgary-based psychologist Patrick Keelan on the why behind fanatics who go all in cheer on their favorite sports team. And finally, we catch up with Cammie Laird, editor of Savor Calgary magazine, to flip through the pages of their latest issue, which has a special focus on our city's Filipino food scene. Each and every month, we have the opportunity to chat with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld and look at all of the issues facing the city. Chief Newfeld joins us this morning. Good morning to you, Chief Newfeld. Hey, good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Sue. Well, uh, Chief, I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's a bit of a hockey game on tonight. The Battle of Alberta, first time in, in 31 years, uh, game one at the Dome. Uh, so obviously this is where you come in as far as perhaps precautions being taken to keep both Flames and Oiler fans safe, because I know that a lot of fans are going to be out in uh, great numbers. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, really exciting. It has been uh, three decades in the making, as you say. And uh, coming off of a really exciting first round, uh, we found uh, certainly our folks are fully engaged out there, as are our partners from, uh, from the city. And uh, the fans were great in the first round. I think there was lots of, you know, it was a very celebratory environment. Uh, people were uh, just happy, I think, to be out and just happy to have hockey going on, playoff hockey again. And so we're looking forward to probably an increased uh, amount of interest for obvious reasons, but uh, more of the same here in the second round. So do you boost the number of officers? It'll be around the Saddle Dome and the, the Red Lot, et cetera. Gold, the, the, you know, the... the I can't think of the name of the road. What am I calling? Trying to call it? Cloud Trail. And where where all the bars and stuff are? Oh, you know? Red Mile. Thank you, Red Mile. Couldn't come up with that. But do you increase the numbers of officers? It'll be out on the streets, particularly. Do you know, Sue? It's uh, our response is is pretty scalable, and I guess uh, what I mean by that is that uh, you know, depending on how many people we see come out, because there's other things that can influence. Certainly, in the first round you know, weather, uh, that type of thing could influence uh, the way things go. So as we see increasing numbers of people coming down uh, to the red lot, and of course we've seen more people, you know, their expansion of the red lot and stuff like that. So as, uh, you know, uh, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation and others um, expand or add events uh, or venues, we will scale with that as well. So we have seen increasing numbers of uh, fans coming out and increasing numbers of events, and we have been scaling up our numbers of police officers in response to that. Might be a loaded or common sense question, Chief, but, you know, I'm assuming it's not illegal to hoot and holler and and wave a flag. What sorts of things will the officers on the ground be looking for? Yeah, you know, I I mean, people are pretty excited, and and we get that. Certainly uh, when the Flames win and everybody uh, exits the Saddle Dome and comes out, we do have a lot of noise. And I think, you know, your point's a really good one. It's really important to remember that there's more people than ever living uh, in the area of the Beltline and around 17th Ave. And so, um, you know, those speak... People have to work in the morning and stuff like that. So we, our folks are engaging positively with fans that are uh, taking in the Red Mile to, you know, encourage them to have fun, encourage them to stay safe, but also to be respectful to uh, the neighborhood and make sure that we're, um, we're uh, respecting the people that make that their home and, and have invested in there. 
Chief, aside from the the big game, obviously a, a big part of what's going on in our city, but also it seems of late when we chat, we're talking about violence in the city, gun violence, gang violence, especially after that innocent mom was killed recently by stray gunfire, just a tragic incident that happened. Have, are we seeing truly an uptick in gun violence and gang violence in the city, or is it just because it's been fairly quiet here of late? No, we have definitely seen an uptick, uh, Sue, unfortunately. Uh, 2020, believe it or not, uh, even though a lot of uh, crime and sort of calls for service because of the pandemic were down, we actually saw in 2020 a record number of shootings. We had 112. Uh, That's the highest we've ever seen. Now, with the police service and the community working together, uh, we have seen that number going down. Uh, In 2021, it was down. But 2022 is not going in a good direction. Uh, I would say that by the end of April, if we were to look at a five-year average, we would have, uh, on average, about 26 shooting events. And, and hey, let me say that one of these is one too many in an urban environment. But that's, you know, in a city of, of 1.3 million, that's, that's what we've averaged. Uh, and this year, uh, believe it or not, uh, to, the, to the same point, uh, or up, up to this point this year, we've had 58, so we're way above where we should be. So there's definitely an uptick. It appears that we, we're seeing more incidents as well, Chief, of, of sexual assaults in the city. Uh, I'm wondering if, if we've become complacent or, or what perhaps has changed in the past little while. Well, you know, the, the stats, uh, that's definitely a perception, uh, Andrew. I would say that the stats aren't necessarily bearing that out with respect to the sexual assaults. Uh, but certainly um, there have been, as, as you've mentioned, a number of them that have been high profile. So I think it does drive that perception. Uh, but any one of those, like one of those is too many as well. Where we have, though, statistically seen uh, uh, increases, though, are things like robberies, um, robberies of um, pharmacies, uh, cannabis stores, this type of thing. And those have been, you know, disconcertingly violent. Uh, and also just generally the number of assaults. Um, so we, we have seen violence, not just in the, the shootings. The shootings are obviously the most, um, you know, the most um, probably shocking manifestation or that we see. But some of the robberies and the assaults are going up as well. So these are areas that, uh, that we're very concerned about. And uh, certainly we're engaging with the community around, you know, the locations. And, and if we know individuals or groups that might be involved, we're intervening proactively in that to try to prevent these things. Let's talk about uh, crimes in communities, you know, outside of the, the the core area. And, you know, I just said my cousin was telling me that her vehicle was broken into and the officers uh, believe that perhaps somebody had cloned, you know, her, her key fob from in the house. Is that, That's really a thing, isn't it? It is. You know, with the increases in technology and the developments that way, um, you know, unfortunately, criminals are finding new ways to uh, to perpetrate, you know, old crimes. Um, you know, back in the day, it was uh, with older vehicles, it was, you know, damage to the ignition column. And with a screwdriver, people could steal a car. And of course, with better technology and better security, you can't do that. But now we're seeing people, you know, using their, their powers uh, that they should be using for good, for evil. And they're basically doing, uh, you know, cloning keys and stuff like that. That, that is a uh, that is a thing now, unfortunately. All right, before I let you go, it's maybe the most difficult question to answer of the day, which is, how do you see this series going between the Calgary Flames and, and Edmonton Oilers? What is your prediction? Well, you know, I, I think it's going to be a long series. I think both teams have had uh, had good seasons, and both teams are actually uh, very, very strong. So there'll be lots of passion, lots of emotion, just <laughs> as there will be for the fans. There's no doubt about it. So I think it's a long series. I say Flames in seven. Oh, I like it. I thought you were going to be very PC and not give us your actual, uh, <laughs> your your choice, but good work. Okay, I like it. I think we're probably all on board with you on that one. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just going for it, too. Okay, I like it. That's very good. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, appreciate your time, Chief. Have a great day. Go you Flames, too. go. Yes, Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. Just to underscore, you know, what the Chief said there, and 
A lot of folks out there might not remember 18 years ago, 2004. And I think to a certain extent there were some nuisances out there. But what I my biggest takeaway is some of the acts and some of the images that came out of the Red Mile, for example. Mm-hmm. My reminder would be, aside from the long arm of the law, the Calgary Police Service doing what they can to keep people safe. They're not there to to, to stop you from having fun. They're there no, they're to make sure the fun police. that you that, that you aren't infringing on other people's rights sure. and safety. Absolutely. But my reminder would be, if I can offer up this piece of advice, Sue, things are going to live online. So if, uh, if you're uh, doing something in public... As in uh, images? There might be some images. That might images be taken by cell phones. I'm sh- I've not checked, believe it or not, uh, but I bet you can find some images from 2004. Sure and uh, this maybe didn't happen in 1989, but this is the era of the camera, folks. Careful out there, kids. Planned on Discord and live-streamed on Twitch, last weekend's terrorist attack in Buffalo has highlighted the role social media is playing in fueling extremism. With Insight, we're joined by Reiner Washburn, cyber intelligence researcher with the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism. Good morning to you, Reiner. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, Sue. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you joining us. It's a fascinating topic and sadly one we need to talk about. But can you expand on that a little bit? Tell us exactly how is social media being used to radicalize people? Well, that's a great question. So social media in short has been able to connect people, and that's the whole purpose of social media. Um, But uh, as you've seen recently with the Buffalo and other incidents uh, of the past year, Social media is able to provide different types of technology and services, and this includes places like Discord, Twitch, and so forth, to expand messaging and gather people with like-minded interests and so forth. And this is based on a variety of issues, such as um, uh, algorithmic approach to what people like, they don't like, and so forth. And this allows uh, folks with more extremist um, views uh, to gather and correlate around similar topics. And this is what we've seen like with um, the, uh, the Buffalo shooter in particular. Reiner, as we know, there are many options when it comes to hopping on and creating a social media account. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. are all social media platforms created equal when it comes to that opportunity for extremism? Or are, do some stand out as more of a choice of folks who look for this sort of a thing? Well, that's a good question there, too, is... Um, most platforms are allowed uh, allow that type of voice, and um, you're able to create an account anywhere you wish to create uh, that persona and that type of profile for yourself and then gather a following or attraction for the content that you're posting. But there are certain platforms out there, in particular places like Twitter, which are trying to be more aggressive in moderating certain types of um, content. And this has definitely stemmed uh, more rigorously because of the COVID pandemic with regards to mis- misinformation and disinformation. This also came into effect with um, violations of terms of service with regards to hate speech. But there are other platforms which do not regard this as uh, an issue where it's more about engagement and getting more profiles and accounts. So it's a little bit easier and a little bit more flexible for other platforms to be saying, well, it's easier not to uh, moderate that speech if it means it helps uh, engagement and get their uh, well, again, as these are uh, private companies, it's about the profit for them. So it's in some places easier uh, to uh, allow uh, users uh, to do what they wish without the um, issue of having to moderate their speech. So, so on that note, then, is is online extremism on the rise or 
does it just mm. seem like you know people are just finding the the venues for it, or, or what, what does that work for? How does that work for you? Do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, online extremism is on the rise, in particular, as we see, and also from like the FBI reporting last year um, by the director that was releasing like about ninety five percent of cases that they're interview- uh, seeing are like right wing extremism, and about seventy percent of those are coming out from um, they're seeing an online activity. So it is on the rise. Uh, but then there's this also this, at least in the United States and else in other areas, um, uh, the hyperpolarization in politics, uh, and then the ongoing pandemic fueled by mis and disinformation is allowing these types of ecosystems, ecosystems as we call them, on places like Twitch, Discord, or what have you, uh, to thrive. And so, um, and there's very little that can be done. Uh, from a legislative stance because in places like Canada or the United States where free speech is protected, um, it is really up to the companies themselves that are providing these platforms and through their terms of service. So it is a very thin and tricky line to regulate, if anything. Uh, But as we have seen, it is on the rise and it is much more accessible to get this type of content. Well, especially when you you mention that it's up to the online platforms individually there can always be a, an outlier who welcomes uh, you know something off the beaten path which could be extremism mm-hmm. i'm wondering if we don't look at legislation we don't look at government could we have an association perhaps of, of online social network platforms come together form some kind of governance yes there is that um there is definitely work in this area places like tech against terrorism and so forth where these consortiums kind of come together to figure out how they can best assume uh, tackling the issue of not just terrorism, but the more broader extremism issue with regards to um, uh, policing and monitoring their content across platforms. Because as you see, it's not just on one platform, but multiple platforms which these user en- which these users engage on, and that's what we call uh, a cross-pollinization effect of narrative and issues. Which again, it's not just a Twitter problem or a Facebook problem, or in this case, a Discord and Twitch problem. It's all social media, and so uh, there are forums out there which are trying to tackle this, and including places like um, uh, the Global Engagement Center from the uh, Department of State on the government side, but then also from the private sector uh, and nonprofit spaces like Tech Against Terrorism. Well, it's a, a terrible topic that we have to continue talking about to you know, make sure that we shed light on it and, and get it out of the darkness so that maybe something can be done about it. But we thank you for your time this morning. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Reiner Washburn with Cyber Intelligence. He's a researcher with the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism. You know, I, I, whereas I've seen no terrorism, I, from what I would view as terrorism on my social media channels, I did see a post from somebody when Justin Trudeau had done his trip to Ukraine, which was under kind of cloak and day, he was yeah. super quiet. He came back, and this person had posted, uh, his words, not mine, it's too bad that he came back alive. And I thought, well, that's not terrorism. That's, you know, I did. I, I, just I ignorance, really. I unfriended that person. Yeah, good. Because it was a peripheral friend. So we have these choices. Well, not only to decide who is on our feeds and who is part of our group, whatever platform you're on, but which platforms that we choose to, to sign up for. Yeah, and I mean, on that note, a lot of these, you know, sort of the, the darker ones like 4chan and Discord, I don't think most people are on them. You know, I'm pretty sure there's not a whole lot of terrorism going on on Facebook these days, but but maybe yeah. there is. I don't know, maybe things get said. And, you know, what Reiner was talking about, how the algorithms feed you more of what you are talking about and what you like Ooh. and, and the, the friends that you have. So you get more and more of that. 
and maybe you get less and less of it as you sort of clear out your friends list or that sort of thing, like you're saying. So I, I guess it's out there, unfortunately. Yeah. I, and we have to keep talking about it. And I think something really does need to be done. Yeah, I think the standard person would have to go out of their way to find such a site yeah. where there's some kind of a platform that allows that sort of speech and has like-minded individuals, whatever their minds may look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, it's this is the new thing. And you think about how many people have, you know, when I say off the beaten path, outrageous ideas. Um, you know, that could be damaging to others mm-hmm. um, that would not have had that voice 20 years ago exactly. without a social media. And who's mostly on social media but our young people, right? Yep. And they're the ones and there you have it. we're not going to go looking for and finding something like a 4chan, but the kids probably are. Yeah, and can they discern? And if somebody mm-hmm. looks cool, that gets them hooked. Maybe they have a, a favorite music that they share and then they mm-hmm. get involved. And Another yeah. reminder, we do need to keep uh, an eye on uh, what our kids are doing online for here, sure. Here, here. The kickoff of the Battle of Alberta. Are you hopping on the Flames bandwagon? Or are you a diehard fan and you're going to watch for sure? Either way, what is it behind the intense rivalry between our province's NHL teams? To help us understand the psychology of fandom, we're joined by Dr. Patrick Keelan, registered psychologist here in Calgary. Good morning to you, Dr. Keelan. Uh, Good morning, Andrew and Sue. Well, we've seen that these rivalries in sports can get very heated, especially when it comes to something like the Battle of Alberta. How can we get so emotional? How can we get so heated over sports, Dr. Keelan? Well, I think uh, part of it can be uh, when you uh, are uh, following a team. Um, Part of our identity and our feelings about ourselves come from the uh, causes that we support, the groups that we belong to, and the teams that we're a part of. I think that can play into it. And if you're with a successful team or following a successful team, there's evidence that it can uh, kind of rub off onto you and make you feel better about yourself. And uh, kind of banding together and connecting with people, uh, that kind of uh, fuels more energy in terms of the excitement. I can get the excitement and the, and the good feelings behind it, but you know, sometimes, doctor, you see, you know, people who almost hatred comes out for people who who like the other team or someone who supports the wrong team in their opinion. What's behind that sort of like a, the negative, the intense negative feeling? Well, I mean, I think the most basic explanation is that uh, we think of ourselves and others in terms of categories. That's just the way we tend to think in groups. And uh, we tend to have a favoritism toward the groups that we belong to and the members of those groups compared to members of the other groups. We call it in-group bias, in-group favoritism. So uh, I will tend to like members of my group more than members of the other group. And I'll tend to behave more favorably toward members of my group compared to members of the other group. And the notion there would be uh, if... uh, my group is perceived as more favorable than the other group. Uh, that helps me to feel better about myself. So you've got in-groups and out-groups. Uh, so there's lots of evidence that simply being randomly assigned to two groups, once you're in one group, you, you tend to really like your group a lot more than the other group. And liking your group more and enhancing it tends to, by definition, involve viewing the other groups more negatively and treating them more negatively. Well, let's uh, focus uh, also on something that we use the term, uh, you know, loosely, uh, bandwagoners mm-hmm. when it comes to playoffs because you never really know if somebody is a fan, but it's, it's fine to chirp them if you think they're just getting on the, 
you know, getting behind a team. But there is a difference between somebody who'll watch an entire year and those who hop on, if you will. And, and, and what is the thinking behind bandwagon fans? They, they might not know a ton about the game. They just want to be part of something. I mean, I think it can be part of it, part of it being part of something and, and connecting with people. That can certainly be a big part of it. It can also be uh, the idea that uh, uh, we tend to uh, want to be more associated with groups that are successful than those which are not successful. To be a team that's going very well, uh, you linking yourself to that is going to help you to feel better about yourself. If the team is not doing well, uh, then um, associating yourself with that team would be less likely uh, because uh, it would be less likely to allow you to feel good about yourself. So uh, bandwagon hoppers and people who hop off, I think that can play part of it as well. Well, we're hoping uh, everybody is on this big old bandwagon of ours, cheering on the Calgary Flames as they uh, kick off the season, or the, the this Battle of Alberta series tonight, I should say. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Doctor. Appreciate it. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Dr. Patrick Keelan is a registered psychologist, drpatrickkeelan.com. If you want more information, he's here in Calgary. And I mean, think, you know, the word fan really yeah. does, it's a short form of the word fanatic. And, and people really can be fanatical about their teams. Oh, yeah. And I think that there's no one size fits all when you say fan. There's so many different, there's not black and white, there's shades of gray, Sue, because I am a bandwagoner when it comes to the NHL. 82 games, I find it too thick for me. I really want to watch when these games count, when there's something on the line, yeah. and when you can actually tell that the players have elevated their game. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm a huge CFL fan. Smaller league, fewer games. It's such they a... They play it, harder, yeah. you think, in regular season it, kind of thing. It's just a real It's a real time commitment to follow the NHL through the entire it season. Is. So I'm a bandwagoner. You're kind of... How would you describe yourself? I'm sort of medium. You know, I'm not a bandwagon jumper, but I don't watch every single game. I certainly try to check on the scores after Mm -hmm. each game, but, you know, for sure, for me, playoffs is where it's at, obviously. I I will take the time out of, you know, all the busy things that we all have to do to watch a hockey game in the playoffs. For me, queso, watching the game, eating queso with chips. (laughs) That's fair enough. The the other side of fandom is I'm a major fan of the NBA, but I I have a few teams I, I really like and a few players. But it, I am a fan of watching NBA no matter which team is playing. Mm, and so, so in that sense, I, I consider myself kind of a pure fan for NBA. And I know there's hockey fans out there. It doesn't matter if your team's playing. There's NHL yeah, on. That's I have to watch McIver, that game. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, won't, I won't watch if it's two teams I don't care about. I'm not invested in either of them. And I'm not wasting my time on it. But if it's you're my not going to watch the Florida series is what you're saying. Not so much, no. no. But I'll definitely be watching this Battle of Alberta. It kicks off tonight. It's very exciting. Yeah. Buck dropped just after 7.30. Very funky front cover of Savor Calgary magazine for this spring edition. Fresh, local stories for food lovers. And joining us with all the yummy details of what's inside is the editor of Savor Calgary magazine, Cammie Laird. Hi, Cammie. Hi, Sue. How are you? Oh, hungry. Yeah, I am too after flipping through Savor. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. So that cover, right? Like, how delicious is it's that? We took a, a tour of Filipino food in Calgary, and there is a lot of so many delicious things. That stuff is called kakanin, the stuff on the, the cover. And uh, it's sweet, kind of glutinous rice dessert yumminess, and you're going to get dirty and messy and uh, super satisfied eating that stuff. Seems to me like I'm seeing you know more than a couple of Filipino establishments cropping up around town, Cami, that you, you wouldn't see five or ten years ago. It, it's quite popular in our city, isn't it? 
Yeah, it really is. I think um, folks are getting uh, a little more bold in their culinary choices, and, um, you know, that's really opened things up for uh, a lot of different types of food. And Filipino has been, uh, you know, kind of all the rage in the last couple of years. There's been some uh, chains opening up that have only been in the Philippines up until now, and um, just some really great local local stuff as well. What else are you focusing on in Savor Calgary magazine this time around? Well, you know, Father's Day is coming, and uh, I think for the dad who has everything, why not a $120 burger? Why yeah. not, I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Well, this thing is, uh, it's at Tomahawk Kitchen and Bar, and it's called the Gold Digger. Um, and it is Alberta Brant Lake like you beef, bone marrow butter, butter port poached lobster, wild mushrooms, red wine, cheddar, truffle, aioli, shaved truffles, pancetta, pickled onions, and 24 karat gold leaf. We saw it. Andy and I saw it. We were down there and saw it. It's quite something. Yeah. They didn't let us eat it. Apparently, yeah. Oh, not my gosh. The in. Yeah. No, I think that's you, you need some kind of an item like that. But you've got uh, different things like your top picks. One of the top picks, and I'm, I'm going off script here, but I think you know your material, uh, Cammy. Uh, it, I'm crossing my amazing. fingers. Absolutely. <laughs> noble pie. You've, you've got a little blurb on noble pie, for example. Is it really as good as people are saying when it comes to pizza joints? Well, you know, when when people are lining up, uh, you know that's always a good sign. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, pizza... It's one of those sort of perennial favorites, you know, that you can't... And, oh man, you, you can line up in the back alley and get one these days. And, uh, yeah, if you're in the know, certainly Noble is uh, is definitely up there. Delicious. I'm also uh, looking at uh, page 16, meeting Leslie Bull, who's the proprietor of Kokum's Bannock Kitchen and Catering. I love, you know, when I hear about people who, you know, leave their jobs and just jump into their passion, and she's one of them, isn't she? Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah, what a great story. She, This woman has 30 grandchildren. And so cook them. That, that's the Cree word for grandma. Um, she, Yeah, she just kind of jumped in and she cooks with her grandbabies. And she, uh, one, you know, they're, they range from 2 to 21. Um, and yeah, we really wanted to highlight her um, Indigenous Peoples Day is June 21st. And apparently Bannock is a super hard to come by item on that day. So we want people to get their uh, orders in early. All right, I'm wondering, I'm not sure if you're a Flames fan, if you're going to be watching tonight, but, you know, what would be your go-to snack Mm -hmm. if you're watching game one of this Battle of Alberta? Oh, boy. Oh, that's a tough one. I think, I think this um, new um, Vietnamese restaurant just off on Center Street on 16th Avenue, um, they have a pho grilled cheese that I think would make great dipping um, excitement for a game. It might be a little messy, but I'm always up for, you know, getting my shirt dirty. There's always a spot or two on it. So, um, yeah, I I think that might be the thing to try this time around. Let's face it, this series might get a little messy, so it seems like that might be a good idea. Thank you, Kevin. Always appreciate it. Go Flames, go. It is Savor Calgary Magazine. The spring, late spring 2022 issue is out now. SavorCalgary.ca. That's Cammie Laird, editor of Savor Calgary. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.